Welcome to the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. This podcast is about an idea. It's the radical idea that queerness is a gift and that the divine celebrates it rather than merely accepts it. We'll explore the special role that queer people are meant to play in the coming spiritual awakening. Through the lives and stories of queer people, we'll explore the many ways of approaching the divine and how the sacred reveals itself in everyday actions. Most of all, this is a podcast about love. It's about the love of the universe. It's about love between people. And it's about the love a community can share with one another. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to this episode of the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill, and I'm joined today by Elohim Lifar. Elohim is an urban spiritual worker from Amazonas, Venezuela, tarot reader and dowser, and the author of the upcoming Dream Witchery book. He's a former publicist and media manager. Welcome to the show, Elohim. Hi, good morning. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, uh, it's my pleasure. So I always like to start by asking all of my guests, what does queer spirituality mean to you? Uh, that, the, that is a very old question for me. Uh, that I have been like, trying to, in some way, understand for the past years, because from where I come from, from Venezuela, from South America, we don't use the term queer, uh, because our perception of the queer community is entirely different. Uh, we don't have the same rights like here in the United States. Um, it's a very complicated place. I choose to marry my husband, so I need to travel from Venezuela to Argentina to marry him. Uh, so the whole concept of queer uh, there is like very odd, something different. Yeah, very difficult to to explain or even to translate. I think that we don't have a word for that in Spanish. Uh, what I have been understanding here for the past eight years is that is some kind of um, um, how I can define this, like some kind of place where you can put together everybody who feels like an outsider for essentially the same reasons. We are all part of the community, and with uh, with time, we just um, like trying to understand that we can start walking and running together. The, the spiritual part of that is when we understand that it's not just everything about us, because at, after a certain point, when you are walking and running and fighting so much for your rights, in a moment you stop and you just think like, okay, this is not just about me, it's about a, a lot of people around me who are sharing the same beliefs than me, who are sharing the same place and the same struggle. And it's a lot of people who come before me who fight for the rights that I have now. And when you take all of this part by part, you understand that you are part of, some, of something bigger. It's not just discrimination against you worldwide. It's against your whole community, your ancestors. It's a lot of people coming in the line. And in some way, when you understand that you are a spiritual person, but also you are queer, this key, these two things together gives you some kind of um, 
connection or why your brain some way that made you understand, okay, I'm part of something bigger. It's not just about me when I'm fighting. It's not just fighting for me. It's not fighting just for my rights. It's not just for me being married or having the rights to another to other person has. It's about how much also I can do for the whole community, for the whole uh, crowd of people together. Because when you are, uh, you know that you are fighting now not just for your rights and for um, to honor the rights of the people in the past, but also for the rights of the people in behind you, coming in the future, those people go to need uh, every drop of effort that you can put right now in the world because they're going to need it in the future. Because in some way, we always will have uh, the people because history has teach us that, that we never stop fighting. Whatever we do, uh, we never have like a big time to stop. We always start fighting for something new. Uh, years ago, we were fighting for uh, the rights to, to get married. Now we're fighting for the rights of the trans community who are being uh, dismissed and mistreated constantly. And not just in like, when you are a queer, in some way, spiritual person, you are part of this fight, whatever you wanted or not, because your decisions and your actions will carry a lot of weight over these decisions and, uh, and about how other people perceive the trans uh, members of our community too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that you have such a, you have a, I think a broader perspective than queer people in the U S do, because you've had these experiences being from Venezuela. You know, I think sometimes, particularly in the white queer community, we sort of think that it's over, right? We won our, we won the right to marry. We're all done and we can pack everything yeah. up and go home and just have a good time. And there's still so much work to be done because there are other places in the world where it's not safe to be queer. There's a whole segment of our community that still is very much at risk. You know, trans people, um, people of color yes, are it's, still. It, uh, it's not like, um, it's not like people is said, because I understand that. Uh, I have eight years here. Uh, so I have I had the time to explore these conversations with many different members of the community. And it's not like people is just like, oh, I have everything and they give it for granted. It's just that because they, they, they didn't have the experience of living in another place, they don't even know what exactly they are giving for granted. I mean, the fact that you have, the simple thing like you can shower every day. In Venezuela, exactly in the capital, when I come from Venezuela in 2015, we have a water problem for almost three or four years. That depending on the part of the city where do you live, they just give you uh, water in your locality two days a week. So you just shower and you just uh, clean all your stuff two days a week. Something so simple like that. Here in the United States, you have water all day, every day, at any hour. You want to shower in the morning or in the night, you go to take your shower. So easy like that. When you are in Colombia, Peru, Brazil, uh, when you are in a different place, you have all of this struggle with different things like electricity that is not working every day of the week, water which not work for you every day of the week, which not work for you any day. You want to marry your partner, you need to move to another country because the cops will not support you or defend you because legally in these countries we do not exist. When you're trying to make a report with the police, because someone is bullying you or making you any kind of bad thing because you are a gay person, a queer person, a trans person, 
they never take the report because legally uh, you can say gay in a report because you don't exist, gay community don't exist. It's, you, you, they just take out the report because you don't have any right to say that you are gay and you are being discriminated for being gay. I lost one of my first jobs when I was 19 years old. I was using this job to help me to pay the college and they fired me just because my supervisor was highly homophobic and he made horrible comments all day, every day. And one day they just fired me and when I tried to make the report, this was impossible because you can say that someone is discriminating you because you are gay, a country that everybody is watching what is happening there. And they take it like, for example, oh, this is happening in the United States. We need to try to make that too. So you try to be part of the change. That's the reason why immigrants always come to the United States. It's not just because all the opportunities and chances. It's because it's a place where you can literally change things. If you want to change something in your body, you you go with the surgeon and he will take you and he will go inside of you and he will make the changes that he needs to do. If you want to make a change, a reflection worldwide, you need to go to the United States. I mean, the changes in there. Because every country in the world is watching what is happening in the United States in every aspect, especially right now with Black Lives Matter, the queer community, and trans rights, everybody's watching. I, I think sometimes as Americans, we don't realize how much we're an example to the rest of the world, which, of course, makes a lot of the anti-trans and some of the things that happened with Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. all the more important because people are looking at us. And when we make these missteps, right, we make mistakes. Yeah. People look at that as an example to emulate. And so we have to really be more conscious of the way that we impact the rest of the world. So I think that's really a powerful insight for us. I also think the thing you mentioned about losing your job is that a lot of people don't realize that in the United States, it is not universally protected in job in jobs there are places in the u.s where you can be fired for being queer yeah um so and people don't always think about that because you know and and in particular i think it impacts people who are in the lower income brackets because you know if you work in tech or or in these like more higher paid jobs those companies are sort of on the cutting edge of gay rights and so you're not exposed to some of that. And so you think it doesn't exist, but then there are, are more vulnerable people, particularly trans people um, who still experience that type of discrimination, even here in the U S and so there's definitely a lot of work to be done. So I think it's, I think it's really powerful that you share all of this because I think we do take so much of it for granted and there is so much still to do. So thanks for sharing that. Um, Tell me a little bit about your spiritual path. I notice, um, you know, you your bio, you call yourself an urban spiritual worker. Tell us a little bit about what that means and how you kind of got there. I discovered the path of my family. I, I think that this is for everybody who, which family practice some kind of religion. I was very young. This is this what weird things that my family do. And when you are a child, everything that you see, you give it for granted, right? Because you are a child, you don't understand uh, different aspects of things. You just see that, oh, this is what my family is doing, so everybody probably do the same. I was in the Amazonas, people were, you know, curanderos, um, herbalists, um, healers, and some kind of magicians that we call, we call Yubus. Uh, this was like the daily practice. I take some kind of ritual when I was nine or 10 years old. I really can't recall the age. 
And then when we moved to the city, to the capital city, to Caracas, uh, I noted that, oh, this is another world. This is entirely different. You are out of the woods. You are in the big city. Uh, when my mom started talking to me, you hear people have other beliefs. People have other gods. They have uh, some kind of virgin goddess who give a child. Uh, they have this statue of a man who was crucified and you don't mention this, you don't mention that, you don't mention the, um, the, the spirits of the trees, you don't mention anything to these people because they don't go to understand it. And I was like 11 or 12 years old. When I was 12 or 13, I started studying with the books. And in that moment, I was when I finally had the understanding of, oh, you know, we have religions worldwide. Um, because when you live in a place like Amazonas, you're like very disconnected, we don't have internet, we don't have radio, so it's like, you are very isolated. So I started just taking initiations with my family because everything that my mom does, in some way, my family follows. She takes an initiation in Afro-Caribbean traditions, we take it too. People will call me because it's an entirely different culture. They will call me a brujo. They will call me a shaman. Here in the United States, use the word brujo many times. implies that you need to give a whole cultural linguistic explanation of why we do it. Um, because you don't want to sound like entitled or something like that, like, oh, let me teach you. You don't want to have that attitude uh, uh, with other people. You just say, you know, I am a, a witch. I am some kind of witch. Uh, put me under that umbrella. I don't really care. And I stopped using the word shaman here in the United States because it's some kind of linguistic fight with the Asian community who, who use the word shaman with S. In Venezuela, we use the word shaman with C, without the H. But, uh, growing Amazonas called shaman. That same word, we use it for many things. We use the word shaman, which means you are a spiritual worker and a medium. We say chamo or chama. It's like my friend. If you are in Venezuela, people will call you, hey, he, this is my chamo. It's like my body, my guy. Or my chama, she is my body, my, my girl. It's another word that I... Uh, oh, chamarrero, we have the word chamarrero, uh, which is some kind of man who owns a lot of horses. It's something of, it's part of our culture, it's a womanizer. We have a lot of words which come from the same linguistic root, that chaman. But when you are hearing in the States and you say, you know, I am a spiritual worker, place, you just say, you know, I am a spiritual worker, period. End of the conversation. <laughs> it's essentially that what I do, like an urban spiritual worker. Uh, people comes to me and they say, you know, like, for example, literally last night, one friend of mine told me, you know, uh, these friends of mine passed away uh, two days ago. I should do something. And we were having that conversation online about what the religious people, how I can participate on this with disrespect with, uh, with the tradition of the family, what I can do. I can just give you support emotionally or I can do something else. I mean, I can light some candles for them in the name of their uh, personal pantheon, or I can do something else. Because each person is a whole world. fact that you say that you're Catholic, not made you immediately of a box, because there are many different kinds or levels of being, oh, you know, I am Catholic, I am very, or I'm just Catholic because my family is Catholic. I am a witch because I practice witchcraft, or, you know, I am a witch because... I read the horoscope and I wear some crystals, you know, at a certain level yourself to the same to the same level of the person. 
and being a spiritual worker is part of that. It's part of understanding that everybody's on different, different things at the same time, and you need to try to support them in there. It's not, it's not just making a spell working for people. It's trying to support them in the level where they are, because sometimes they just want to be there. And sometimes people just come to you asking for advice. Sometimes they just come for a reading. Sometimes they come for something bigger, some kind of a spell work, or, uh, or they want to do a, a mediumship session uh, with somebody about somebody who dies. A lot of magic and witchcraft is more than what you see in the books. Books are just like a minimal, little version of what we are doing. Um, years and years of practice just write down. Don't care how big is the book, always will have things that are not in there because it's things that you need to experience for yourself. And the spiritual worker is that person that is with you, like the witch that is uh, telling you, this spell don't go to war for this reason. This spell, this spell or this ritual will go war better if you do it under this new phase or you use these oils or you craft with these charms and you go to this place. It's that person who is guiding you the whole process. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely like what you said about, you know, books, because people really turn to books. And it's great that we have the internet and we have books available for people. They, but yeah. you do have to experience some of this stuff and you have to practice. Um, you know, you can't just read the book and expect to be on that level. So I really appreciate that you shared that. You have a book coming out, um, Dream Witchery. And so tell us a little bit about, about this book. Okay. Dream Witchery is, is, is a baby. It's very close to born. It's almost there. It's almost there. And this time, when I come to in 2015, I bring some manuscripts with me. For these past years, I have been publishing one after another. But this manuscript was there. And I really not was sure what to do with this manuscript because life was so complicated some way. Target of the book is immigrants. It's so many immigrants in the United States. I mean, if you are not a Native American indigenous person in America, probably you and your whole family are immigrants and come from another place. And Dream Witcher is made for that kind of people. It's that kind of book that is for everybody who feels like maybe this is this is my this is definitely my place where I born, but it's not entirely my place. I don't belong 100% here because my family comes from another place. Maybe you say, you know, my family comes from Spain, from Germany, from United Kingdom. My grandpa arrived here from who was Lebanese or was Egyptian. So it's part of your background to come from a different place. And in some way, you want to connect with that. Uh, and in Dream Witchery, I was feeling like a lot of people probably feel like me because being an immigrant implies that many times how much people try to effort to make you feel comfortable, to make you feel like, oh, this is your place, enjoy it. You continue feeling like this is not my place. I literally could take uh, out legally in any moment. They can deport you. If, if you think that you are sure that you are safe, they can just change their laws from one day to another, and, and you can lose everything that you have, your job, your house, everything. So you always feel from the morning to the night this kind of anxiety, like I can lose everything that I have been in the past eight years in just one legal decision, in just one moment. And a lot of people feel in that way, like I want to continue being here, but also I want to have a connection with my place, with my people, with my community, with my ancestors. And in some way, Dream Witchery for me was that all of this 
year was that kind of key of support that I have in my hands and I continue writing and writing and I present this manuscript to many different publishers. They say no because it was too complicated because every publisher in America and a couple of publishers in the United Kingdom, they want something more mainstream, more commercial. The words that they literally use were, we need something more Western, more for, you know, white people, they have more access to money and they can buy more books. So if you can Western this book a little bit more, and they was like, no, I'm not going to do that, because that's literally the concept of the book. And I find this amazing editor who literally gives a chance to the book and say, yes, I want to read it. Uh, she read it and she said, yes, we should do this book. And it's literally, I have made like seven or six books in my life in different languages. And this was the first time that I feel like they were not just respectful with the material, they were entirely hands down with the book in every aspect. Like this word is a thing that you translate wrong. And I say, no, that's the word in Spanish. And this is the other word in Portuguese. And this is the translation. Oh, you want to keep it in that way? Yes. Okay, keep it in that way. So the book is a whole compilation. All the aspects that I could find in my life of dream witchcraft, dream magic, lucid dream, uh, astral travel from the perspective of the indigenous communities. And I was like, a lot of people within these communities, they are, or history is not just limited to be slaves during colonization. We have culture, we have food, we have folklore, we have spirits, we have music, we have so many beautiful things that you can enjoy. We have a lot of amazing food. And one of the topics that people always come to Amazonas to talk uh, is, you know, people travel to these places because they want to try ayahuasca. People travel to these places because they want to try a cacao ceremony. People travel to these places to do tobacco ceremony, these kind of things. And always that you are talking, sit down in the river with uh, a tourist who is trying to practice with ayahuasca, cacao, whatever, they are like, oh, you know, I have this dream. I was dreaming this last night, and it's always, dreams are always part of the conversation. In some way, we have this whole core about dream magic related with the rivers, related with the water, related with, uh, so every time that someone dies, like before certain age, throw that person, that body to the water, so the person can go back to the ancestors. If the person dies very old, or some kind of sickness for good, you burn the body and then you take the ashes and you throw the ashes to the river so the people can connect with the water again. Uh, so it's a whole background related to, to water is connected with the spiritual world. Also water is in some way rivers, seas, uh, mountains are the things that keep us connected. In the Western community, I had seen this in many books, people see the aspect of the sea and the water, like something something that they need to feel, like, oh, you know, the sea keeps separate one continent to another, but for the indigenous communities, it's the whole contrary. It's, no, the sea is what keeps us together. You can use the <laughs> sea literally to travel from one place to another. If you take out all the water, the, con the continents are just like big mountains. How you go to move from one mountain to another? The water is a support it's made in there. It's a whole body of the goddess giving you the space to travel from one place to another. So it's a lot of that, but also for the indigenous communities, the water was this portal to the other world. 
and the other world was connected with the spiritual world, with the world of the dreams, and every time that you are dreaming, the reason why you feel like different, the perception of your sense is different, the colors, the sounds, everything is different, it's because for the indigenous communities, you were under the water in your spiritual body, and you were manifesting these dreams inside of the water. So I compilate all of these stories from all the indigenous communities and I try to put all of this together and put all of this in the book and the editor and the publisher, they were like super respectful with the material. Like finally, in some way, we have a person talking about Amazonian things and indigenous communities who actually come from there. That sounds like a great book and I'm looking forward to seeing it come out. We're getting close to our time here. Um, what sort of parting thoughts would you, you know, if you had like one thing that you wanted to really leave people with, what would that be? Uh, two things. First of all, people, uh, we don't have many spaces. We don't have many podcasts. Please protect these spaces. Please promote these spaces. Please promote this podcast. Uh, uh, please uh, share this podcast, this episode with your friends, with everybody, with your socials. If you don't like this episode because you hate me, that's okay. That's very valid. Look at another episode that you like and share that episode. If we don't have many spaces and if we don't support the spaces that we have, we will end complaining that we don't have spaces when we actually have a lot of people trying to put a lot of effort to create podcasts and shows for us. Uh, second thing, uh, this is a time to try to put our difference aside because uh, everything happening worldwide is very complicated to assume is this situation this year is requiring from us a lot of compassion and understanding and not just assuming things. This is not about the people that I like or who I dislike or who my family dislike. This is not which country is wrong or which country is good. Uh, everybody is a big of a very complicated system. Uh, this is a moment to try to stay together, to try to stick together, to try to lead with the example, uh, not just for people around us, but also for the people who follow you or support you in social media. Everybody's watching you right now, so try to be smart and trying to use your platform. Don't care how small or big it is, try to use your platform in a very smart, inspiring way for everybody, because that's what we need right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that message of unity and compassion because we really need that right now and those of us who are in a place of privilege need to remember that there are um you know brown indigenous and people of color and trans people who don't ha necessarily have that privilege and not try to speak for them but to create space to allow them to be heard for themselves and i think that's really important because sometimes yeah we get in this complex where we think we've got to deliver the message for them. And it's not about that. It's about stepping aside and creating and holding space for them to deliver their message. So thanks for sharing that. How do people get in touch with you or follow you or keep up with what you're doing? Uh, you can look us right down Elohim on Instagram or in Facebook, just write down my name or the name of my book. I am in practically all social media. I am on Instagram, I am on X, I am on Facebook, like everybody. Account where we try to share books of witchcraft, but not just because we have it, but we actually read the books. We share the book with you and we try to create a small but very supportive space for outdoors and readers. Uh, we follow publishers very close, so we see if they have any kind of discount or offering, we say that 
publicly for all readers, hey, this is the chance that you have to buy this book or this other one. And when we see that an author is in some way struggling with promotion or not feeling supported or anything, we try to say, okay, come here and we go to try to support you with a few tools that we have. Nice. That's very, that's wonderful. I love, and I love the the part about supporting people when they feel not supported, because I think that's so important. Um, you know, I just had a conversation with some other spirit workers um, last night, and they were talking about when social media, seeing people who are really inauthentic, and they have this huge following and getting really frustrated when they're doing the work and have the experience and people aren't responding to them or, or following them. Yeah. That's the, that's the reason why I told myself in a former publicist and former media manager, because I, after some time, I know that it's been part of that world. And in some way, I don't care how much I try to change it from inside. It was too complicated. Sometimes I was just uh, in the other extreme of a table in the middle of Manhattan, talking with a lot of influencers, just talking like, very superficial things that I know was really interesting. I was so bored in the conversation because everything was about filters and algorithms and colors and the schedules, and I couldn't find any sense on that. I was so bored. And I, it was so much nonsense. And all of this just to have a big following. And I was like, you know, some people just want to share a picture of the flower that they have in their garden. But if they share this picture that for them is something important and they see that not even their family and friends who follow them, I, they feel like, okay, my family and my friends don't care about what I'm doing. So you need to support these people and teaching them that social media is not, uh, it's not a reflection of life. Instagram is not real life. Uh, those people out there many times following you and everything, many times they are not your friends. Sometimes they are, they are looking at friends and sometimes they are horrible people who are just looking for your support and back for some reasons. It's a very complicated virtual, virtual place. Uh, so that's the reason why I use the hashtag no filters. Please don't use filters in your pictures. Just show yourself how perfect you are because social media is not is a place just made to create very small, fast connections with people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you say social media is not real life because that's so true. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed meeting you and talking about your, your life and your experience in your book. And I appreciate you being here. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This has been the Queer Spirituality Podcast with Julian Crossan Hill. If you enjoyed this show, please consider leaving a rating on whatever site you get your podcasts at. Rating the show allows other people to discover it and be exposed to these ideas around queer spirituality. You can also find my blog and past episodes of this podcast at www.queerspirituality.net. That's www queerspirituality.net. You can also there find links to the Queer Spirituality Facebook group, my various social channels where you can get involved in the discussion or send me your feedback or questions or things you'd like to hear on the show. 
Thank you again for listening and for your support. Bright blessings.